0: Alright, anybody had a storm in your life lately? Anybody? Okay. Um, if not, you probably will. Or if not now, you probably are going to have one in, in within the next year, I would say. Um, we're going to continue our second week of the series called Renew. Today we're going to get, it's going to call More Than a Feeling. We talked last week about being new in Christ, and that feels real good. But a lot of times, many of us don't feel new. Right? Uh, like, Francis, I remember, like, the high points of my Christian journey. And by the way, Ray Ray, I love the Church of the Holy Springs. Was that what you said? It actually sounds like one of these new church starts, doesn't it? But he was talking about the bed mattress. You got it? Okay? It took you guys a while. Um, but I was like, hey, that's actually a good name. <laughs> the Church of the Holy Springs, you just have it in, like, a like a bed place, and people lay down and sleep. It'll be kind of cool. So, um, but uh, if I'm honest, those, those points in my life where I have where I felt really that spiritual high. They're awesome. And they're few and far between. Am I correct with that? Um, I, I'm always amazed in the, old, in the New Testament, in the book of Acts, where these guys get beat up, they get tortured, and they're like, woo we did it for Jesus. And I'm like, I'm like hurting. I'm like, yeah, this stinks, you know. Somebody talks to me like that. You, you know what I mean? You have those days where you don't feel holy. Am I, anybody with me here? Are you guys just all holy feeling people, okay? Um, I just... I just, there's more times in this journey, because I became a Christian at age five. So over those 30 years, um, there is a lot of times where it's not been holy and wonderful. A lot of that's my doing, a lot of it's just life and what this world gives to me. And so I, I began to just unpack some of this, and it took me into this really weird place. Um, a, a lot of. This, uh, I heard, I've heard some, several different teachings and I like to just kind of get a wide range of stuff and some of the stuff I heard and that God revealed to me over the last week or so just really like jolted me about this ridiculous story. Um, but first of all, I, our, our theme verse for this series comes from Second Corinthians chapter 5 and it's right up here. Um, and it's, it's right here. At one time we thought of Christ merely from a human point of view how differently we know him now. This means that everyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old is gone. The new life has begun. And it was really interesting. Um, Emma Gale and a friend of hers, I was bringing them to church today and I'm riding down the road. And this is like the cool time of butterflies. Have you noticed that? It's like we have a butterfly bush that every year I cut down to like nothing. and It looks like it's going to die. And every year it's like huge, and I'll cut it again, and it'll come out huge, and around this time of year, all the butterflies are there. It's really kind of cool. You can stick your hand in the middle and sometimes pull one off and they're like, ah, you're not a tree, you take off. But I was headed on my way to church today and we're riding down the road, and here we go, um, riding, riding, riding down Red Toad Road. Anybody know what Red Toad's named for? Not Red Frogs. It's a wet brick. A wet brick is a toad, and that's why I got its name. So you learn something new every day. Um, and it used to be a brick company over there, a red toad. So um, trust me, I'm not full of it. Uh, so anyway, this has nothing to do with toads or bricks, but it does have to do with butterflies. I'm riding, I'm riding, and all of a sudden I'm riding down, and I see this butterfly like on a flit and all of a sudden he made a wrong turn, and bat right on my windshield. You know, you hear it like a... And I was thinking, how horrible for that little guy. Most of his life he's had to like crawl with his little, little feet all the way across. something like... Okay, you with me? And then he had to escape predators during that point. Then he spent a whole time in this little cocoon, sleeping, not knowing what's going on, spinning around, saying, oh, okay, where anything could have got him then. And then he had to struggle to fight, to get out. And that struggle is what made his arms strong enough to fly. And he's flying around like, wow, I am pretty, I am beautiful, and whack, nailed him. And then I came to this verse that I'm preaching on for the series, and I thought, boy, does that really relate at times. Here I am. I'm new in Christ. I've gone through lots of struggles. I've gone through lots of different things. And, you know, I spent most of my life just crawling around, little fuzzy and yucky and having junk all over me, and, you know, carrying the trail of poo behind me because I don't have toilet paper, and I have all these little legs, and I can't get anything. And I go through this, and I finally spend some time, and I've come to know Christ, and now I'm flying, and whack, out of nowhere, it hits me and that's how I feel at times. Are you with, uh, You guys agree? and so so what is this the old life has gone the new has become if he was still crawling he may have not have been smacked by my windshield but here's this flight so why don't we feel new? when I look at why I don't feel new it has nothing to do with cocoons or butterflies but what it does have to do, I, I feel like all cheery, it's cocoons and butterfly day um, but it has to do with several things. One of the reasons why I realize I don't always feel new is because of my history. Because I have a history. You guys have a history? And you know how you might be feeling good and going along, and all of a sudden you run into somebody that was part of that history? What does that do to you? It just kind of makes you go, uh, it takes you back to that place, doesn't it? It takes you right back to that moment when you see that person and you're like, ugh. You know, and then if you dare see them right after today, like you go to Walmart where Haven Church is after church at Walmart and you go see, am I right? And people, and then you, you go and you're walking around and say you see somebody and they say, oh, where you been? And you say, oh, I've been to church. Like, yeah, right. You know what I mean? They're reminding you of your history. And so our history at times pulls us back into that old self because we have this old history, this past The next thing is that tends to bring us to not feeling new is our hurts. We hurt. No matter what we hurt. I spend much of my life and my ministry dealing with other people and their hurts. Whether they be relational hurts, or whether they be physical hurts and ailments, or whether it just be mental. People hurt. And hurt a lot. And I think the last thing that we don't feel new is our habits we have habits that are hard to break that suck us back into that old life, it's like the godfather every time I get out they just bring me back in that's my habits every time I, you know and that's what the apostle Paul said every time I want to do what's right that's the good I want to do but I don't do it why do I do what I don't want to do but what I want to do I don't do that's the pattern of my journey, this is Paul, he wrote most of the New Testament He had the issues that we do. And it was because you I can guarantee you, the early church didn't accept Paul. Why? Because of his history. As Saul when he was seeking to kill the church. Guess what? He also had some hurts in his life. And he had some habits he had to break. And in order to be and yet he writes this that we're new in Christ. So our history, our hurts, and our habits. So this whole thought process brought me to this amazing verse of Scripture that was just read for you. And I want to read it again. I want to read it again. I really want us to to be open today. And I I want you to hear this verse again. It's real short. It's only seven verses. Um, Let me put this in context. You have the prophet Elijah, who is like, when you look at prophets, that's Elijah. Prophets were people that God spoke through to the other people. They just revealed what God said. Some of it was future, some of it was not, but they just spoke the word of God. So you have Elijah, and Elijah ran from a lady named Bathsheba, and I mean Jezebel, excuse me, Jezebel. Bathsheba was David's problem. Jezebel was, nobody names her kid Jezebel. I've never met anybody named Jezebel. Um, And she was Ahab's wife, and she didn't like him, um, really wanted to kill him. So he ran like hundreds of miles, and God said, okay, we're going to wind this thing down, go back and anoint Elisha. He did. Elisha was with him. So you got Elijah and Elisha. We're going to talk about Shah, not Ja. I know. You think they had more, more names to pick from. But Elisha now becomes the prophet, and he has some powerful things that happen. He raises people from the dead, gives enough oil to to A woman that she never has to go to the gro- grocery store or get oil again. Would that be a blessing from you if I came to your house and said, You never have to go, this cupboard will never be bare. And every time you open it up, it's like something new. You'd be like, Yes, Woo-hoo! thank you, Jesus, right? And that's what, she, what he did for her and raised, uh, raised some people from the dead. He also did all these awesome miracles, calls him rain and not rain, and I mean, just incredible stuff. He was the man. And then in the midst of these awesome stories is this story right here. You ready? And I'm going to read it again because I know you were probably like shuffling around and not, not really focusing because, here, because I was. Here we go. The company of the prophets said to Elisha. Now, when Elisha took over at the beginning of his ministry, people began to yell and say, where's the God of Elijah? They had nothing. They had, people had, had no faith. The churches were empty and people were turning to other gods. And they're like, where's the God of Elijah? And then we have several chapters later, and here's what it says. The company of the prophets said to Elisha, look, the place where we meet is too small for us. Let us go to the Jordan where each of us can get a pole and let us build a place there for us to meet. And he said, go. Then one of them said, won't you please come with your servants? He said, I will Elisha replied, and then he went with them. They went to the Jordan and began to cut down trees. As one of them was cutting down the tree, the iron axe head fell into the water. Oh no, my Lord, he cried. He cried out. It was borrowed. That could be the message for all of us right here. Something you borrowed ain't going well. Maybe we borrow everything in life. Um, But that's not what we're going to talk about, so don't worry. Um, The man of God said, where did it fall? And when he showed him the place, Elisha cut a stick threw it there, and made the iron float. Lift it out, he said. Then the man reached out his hand and took it. All right? I I just kind of want to start kind of in reverse, and we'll, we'll get here, and we'll get back to this point. But God wants you to recover what you've lost. But you need to reach out and take it. So what I want you to do the rest of this time today is I don't want you to passively just sit here. I want you to reach out with your heart and your hand in mind. Like right now, I want everybody to just reach out. Reach out. Okay, ready? And we're just going to start this with prayer today, okay? We good. So, Lord God, I don't know what you want to tell us in this and what this has to do with anything but this this account of somebody losing something they borrowed from somebody. But God, what I know is that there are people here who have had something, had something from you, and they feel like they've lost it. And they just need to reach out and take it. There may be relationships. There may be jobs. There may be something. There may just be faith in you and, and trust in you. And right now, God, I just pray that you'll just have them reach out right now and take it. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, now fist pump the neighbor next to you. Boom. There you go. All right. That's good, isn't it? Everybody good? Fist, fist pump. All right. Here we go. All right, a couple things I want to share in this. And there's some thoughts about this miraculous happening. How many of you would love to see this as a movie? Starring Matthew McConaughey as Matthew McConaughey. Like every movie. Well, you know. Every movie he's in, he's Matthew McConaughey. How do you do that? They pay him millions of dollars to be Matthew McConaughey. Um, if Matthew was here, he can, he can... We already took offering. Hopefully he gave. Um, but think about it. The prophets are headed to the woods. There's no room in the church. And they go to the Jordan with axes. Ta-da! And one loses the axe head. Ah, Right? Is that a movie you want to see? No, it's like, why is this here? All this great miracles and and this guy loses his axe head. You know, this would be like a chapter in my life every day. Where are my keys? I lost my keys this week. Where are my keys? Oh, I need my keys. Where are they? My keys, my keys. I always lose my keys. Um, And everybody goes on a search for me with these keys. Um, A couple things that I want to share here is um, what I think, number one, that's really interesting is that I saw when we look at this, is it's not the pastor who takes the initiative, but the people. It's not the pastor, but the people who take the initiative. Not the pastor who takes initiative, but the people. How do I know that? Look at what it says in in verse um, 1 and 2. Now, Again, in the beginning of this section of Kings, and if you want to read something, go back and look, they're saying, Where's the God of Elijah? Nobody cares about God. God's Elijah, Elisha, nobody cares who you are. God's not here. Now, the prophets come, and listen to what they say. The company of the prophets, there was Elisha, who's this powerful prophet, and there's all these other prophets, they come to him and they say, Hey, the place where we're meeting is too small for us, we've outgrown the church. So, let's go up to the Jordan so that we can go ahead and do something so that we can go ahead and build a place bigger for us to all gather. Isn't that cool? I, I, still, remember, I still remember sitting in Stephen Styles' house when we were talking about the future of the church when we had just gotten in here meeting for a while and I remember Tom Racine saying, well, we need to start doing something because the money's not going to be there to build tomorrow. And he said a couple other things in Tom's way. And just Joel us and said, yeah. And he said, I say we don't wait. Let's just start this weekend and announce it. And he was one of the people up here and announced it. And here we are in a few weeks. Going to see the first part of that dream. But it started with a vision of people. You see what I mean? And that's what begins to happen. And so when you have that, it, you know, the, uh, churches when they grow, create problems. But they're good problems. I mean, there are plenty of churches in our own neighborhood and in the United States where they have another problem. They have too much space and no people. You know, remember the other thing? The church is not a, you know, the church and the people. And you, when you were a kid, you screw it up and you do this and nobody's there. Guess what? Some churches in the United States have screwed it up and there ain't anybody there. And there's other people who need space and there's lots of people, but we don't even have a steeple. Okay? And, and so momentum or passion produces problems. Like I can I tell you today when a lot of our setup crew was, was away it creates extra problems. Am I right? And we are. I'll tell you. You guys are happy that you don't have to sit on something. We're happy we don't have to set up anything. And It's cool that we have, like Gary mentioned, that he he said something about the the young kids who were doing it. It was set up by three or four girls. I think Wayne's daughter today, mine, and one of Miguel's friends, and a couple other Sheila and um, Shyla came in and did it also. That's how that's who set up the chairs, you know. And I'm so glad we don't have to do that. And you're so glad you don't have to sit on a metal chair. Praise God! You're like I can't wait to sit my butt on something nice and cushy, right? And these but these are good problems that we have. We could still be meeting in my house. And we had major problems. We had an immediate momentum problem when the church was two weeks old. Where are we going to meet? When somebody who was coming said, how strong are your floor joists? And I said, didn't think about that. Imagine calling the insurance company. My, um, the church uh, caved my floor in. That's a problem. <laughs> That's a big problem. Um, but that was taken care of as we moved to the dance center initially. And now it's cool that we're going back to that area. You see, in 2 Kings, early, as I said, they're worried about where's the God of Elijah. Now they're overcrowded. They have good problems. The people said, we're the ones that need, that see the, that need to initiate the progress. They initiated, and Haven has been part of that as, as some of that. And I think that's cool when people come to me. I've had several people, not only in building, but in ministry avenues come up to me and say, hey, I'd like to do this. And I've seen God work in that. And I think those are, things are awesome. Now, that's the first thing. The pastor is in, the pastor takes initiative, but the people. And I want to see church be like that. I want to see initiative from everybody in here. We all have gifts, and I want to see people do that. You have something in your heart that you're saying, I think maybe God may be wrestling with me on this, and you, you want, you're not sure about it. Um, the next thing is, and this reminds me of something. Let's look at the verse first, and then I'll fill it in, where it says, God grants. Um, After Elijah says, hey, go, he gives them permission. So, uh, and then one of them says, hey, come with us. So he says, sure, no problem. So he goes with them. And when I look at this, I also think about Elisha being a representative of God, how God relates to us. You can do nothing unless God gives you permission. And that's the first thing. God grants permission, but God doesn't leave it there. He also provides his presence. God gives permission, but also provides presence. If you're trying to do something, have you ever been trying to do something that you think is right? And it is the hardest thing, and and you say, okay, it's working out, and you open the door, and bam, it's it's a dead end. And you go someplace else, it's a dead end. You go someplace else, it's a dead end. I would ask you, did you ask God for permission? Because when God doesn't give permission, you can't get anywhere. Let me tell you, anybody know about Noah and his boat with his family? and a bunch of stinky animals after 40 days. Not my idea of a nice cruise, right? Who shut the door? God, who opened the door? I'm sure there were, about day three, Noah wanted to pound the door down. With all those kids and all those animals, you would have to be crazy not to want to pound the door down. So I think it's awesome that God shut the door. They opened it when God open the door. Now, that's why I don't beat him up for getting drunk and naked afterwards, because he was in a boat with his family and animals for 40-some days. Can't really beat him that much, right? Am I right? You guys don't want to say anything, because you're like, yeah, I would too. Uh, Okay, so this is where we have that. When God grants permission, you have a wide open field, but if he doesn't, you're going to beat your head against a brick wall. But the cool thing is, when God gives. Permission, you also got to ask him to bring his presence so you have the power to do what you need to do there. And it took me to this verse from Matthew 28 because God is the same. And look at what Jesus said. Right before he's getting ready to ascend into heaven, he gives what we call the great commission from Matthew 28. He said, authority and heaven on earth has been given to me. And other verses say, and I'm giving it to you. Therefore, here's the giving part. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I commanded you. That's permission. But he doesn't stop there. Look what he follows up with. And surely, I am what? I am with you, even to the end of this very age. There's God again, through Jesus Christ, the power of the Holy Spirit, saying, I'm giving you permission, but I'm going to be there with you. Power. I'm going to give you permission, presence, which brings power. Uh, in order to do ministry, okay? Is everybody with me? I know we're going kind of like in a weird place, but that's where I was. But it'll it'll be good, I promise. All right, so here we are. We have this uh, great commission. So the cool thing is God is with you. You need to recognize that in your journeys, God is with you. Even if you don't feel it, God is with you. So as we take more of a practical look at this, I want you to wonder why why this quirky, weird story is here. A couple things I want to share. Number one, iron iron was not as plentiful. I mean, a guy loses his axe, hand, his axe head, and you say, "Well, I'll just go down to Walmart or Home Depot or Lowe's and pick up another one." That's our mentality, right? Um, that didn't happen then. You had to make them. They cost a lot, and this profit usually profits were not profitable profits. They were poor, so he was poor. So if he borrowed something from someone, please let me borrow it, I'll bring it back. Something of great value, and then he loses it in the water. It's not going to be good for him. So why is this important? Well, here we go. This is why. Because God cares about the prophet's axe head. In the midst of all these great miracles, God cares that this guy lost something he borrowed. And the message to you is this, and that's the next one on our sheet. God cares about it all. All of it. He cares about your big things like your relationships and your loss and your death and your work and this. He also cares about your hangnail. He cares about whether you don't feel well, whether you got the sniffles, whether you missed your favorite television show. God cares about that because he cares about you. And that's the thing we got to get together in our mindset. That God cares about it all for you. Now, I want to tell you something. My son Judah loves Super Mario stuff, and before that he loved cars, and he's always obsessed and love something. He loses something, and the world has stopped. If he loses a Mario, like the one that, the one that is that one, you know what I mean, and you can't just go get Mario anywhere you know what I mean anymore. You got to like order it and send it and you know that kind of stuff, and so he's like. Obsessed. I mean, he, there's probably a, there was a picture of him with his hat. and he, run, he, he runs around. If you see him running like this, he's running like Mario because he sees the game. He's like, mm, and he'll stop and throw some fire and go on. I mean, and when he loses something, he flips out. Now, he gets that honestly from me. When I lose something, I go immediately to, oh, it's gone. It's done. I don't know where. Am I right? Yes. Okay. And I'm like, it's gone. Just forget it. I don't know why I can't find anything around this dumb house. It's gone. It's oh, I'm never going to find it ever again. Anybody with me? So I've genetically passed this skill on to him, and, um, or just nature nurture, you figure it out, you psychologist. And in the process of all this kind of stuff, I gotta tell you, in the grand scheme of what's important in my life, Mario ranks way down on the list. But I can tell you, when it's my son's lost Mario, it becomes the most important thing in my life to find it. Why? Because it's important. him. Now, if I care that much about a little plastic thing that a few weeks later I can order, don't you think, don't you just think that the things that you think God does not care about are the most important things to him because he loves you and you're his? If you don't hear anything else today, hear that. That what you have lost is important to God. This man lost an axe head, that's why it's here, because this is a prophet doing something for God, seeking God's permission and his presence, and he loses something, and all of a sudden he's like, oh no! And it's important to God at this moment. Matthew 10 reminds us about how important we are to God. It says, are not two sparrows sold for a penny, yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside your father's care? That butterfly I nailed, God saw and cared about it. And even the very hairs of your head are numbered. Now, when I look around the room, I see for some of you that's a little bit easier for God. And some of you say, I resemble that remark. But but you know what? That's how much. Have you ever tried to count your hair? I remember when I was a kid, I found that. I was like... There's no way. It's impossible. But God cares that much about you that He counts the hairs on your head. That's God. That's who He is. It's about care and compassion from God Almighty. God cares about it all. And what I have found in life is number four. It is not the cataclysmic events of life, those major issues, those major things in life that shake us and cause us to lose our passion and momentum, but it is the everyday stuff. It is the doldrums. It's the frustration. It's That stuff that I gotta deal with every day. Usually, like the big things, then I really lean out to God and trust Him. But it's the things that I just deal with every day and I just accept in my life and say, obviously, that God doesn't care because I'm still dealing with it day in and day out. They're the things, they are the things that cause me to lose what I had. They're the things that get me off track and lose my passion and momentum in life. And as I look at that, I see this displayed. Right here in this scripture. will you say where, Jack, and I'll show you. When it says that when they, in verse 5, as one of them was cutting down a tree, the iron, axe, the iron axe head fell into the water. Now, anybody ever used an axe? You're, boom. Boom. And you get into a little rhythm. Right? You get into a rhythm. I'm wondering, while he's in this rhythm, how many times he hit that tree without the axe head? He's in the rhythm. Boom. Boom! Just doing it. Boom, <gasps> right? And I think many of us every day are hitting life without the axe head. Just boom, boom, plugging away, hitting that tree, hitting that tree, and hitting it with nothing and no no point, no force, nothing to drive it, nothing at all. He was swinging and swinging away, and. He had a choice, and his choices were this. Number one, to keep on swinging away and hope nobody notices. There are some of you that are living life day in and day out that you're de- you're, you've been chopping away with no axe head. You're hitting the tree, not getting anywhere, and you're just hoping people don't notice. I'm just going to do it. Just make it through. Just make it through. Okay, almost time to quit. Almost time for quitting time. Okay, Woo, we're done. Woo, almost time for me to go to bed so I can get some rest from this life that I have. Woo. Oh, my gosh. I get some rest. Oh, i got to wake up. Time. I'll put it in modern terms. Time to make the donuts. Okay? And you're hoping nobody sees. That was his one choice. His one choice was to say nothing is wrong. He's swinging away using his, his effort, but there's no power behind it. Notice he lost the axe head, not the axe. Because one of the things, when you have a relationship with Christ, you don't lose that. You can throw it away. He could have thrown the whole axe in the water. And I think that's one of the reasons why we sometimes don't feel it is because we're still swinging with an axe without an axe head, without any power. And it reminded me of a verse in Revelation chapter 2. And it's to the church at Ephesus. It was a really good church that did a lot of good things. They stood up against things that were wrong in the community. But listen to what the angel to the church of Ephesus said. It said this, I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. You have persevered and have Endured hardships for my name. Yet this I hold against you. You have forsaken or have lost the love you first had, your first love in Christ. There are so many of us as Christians that are walking around that we, when we first became Christians, we had this tremendous love for Jesus and everything about it. But then after swinging away for a while, we somehow lost the axe head and lost the passion and lost the power. We're doing it, we're going through the motions. You know, when we get in a new building, we can have all the technology, which we are, which is really cool. We can have all the stuff, bells and whistles. But if we have no power of, of Christ, no presence of Christ there, no drive to get us, we're just going to be swinging an axe without an axe head. And we're going to end up just like jo- the Church of the Springs, right? <laughs> the Holy Springs as Ray was talking about, right? And you can call it a church, but it has no power. It's through the Holy Spirit that we have that power. And, you know, let me, let me give you a modern example. Let me see if I have it here. Yeah, I do. Okay. Um, cell phones. Have you ever been on a cell phone? I have at and um, How many of you have at and Okay. How many of you have Verizon, T-Mobile, Sprint, s- something else? What? I didn't hear that one. Carrier pigeon. pigeon. Okay, that's good. Well, at least that'll come back on, you know. But sometimes I've been in my car and um, I have one of those wireless things that plays. And I'll be talking to somebody and I'll be talking away. It's really bad like when you're outside and you're going, yeah. And so you're, you're in the middle of this conversation. You're talking. You're talking away. You're talking away. You keep talking. You keep talking. And then all of a sudden the phone rings. And how many of you have done that? Okay, and you you feel really stupid because you have no clue how long you were talking to yourself, and this this block of whatever. Um, And 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 you know when that happens, you ask that question: uh, Where was I, or where did we get cut off? Don't you? Where did we get cut off? And this is what Elijah begins to ask this man. Look at what it says: They were there. He goes, "Oh no, it was borrowed." And Elijah's response is this: Where did it fall? Where did it fall? And one of, one of the things I heard another pastor say about this verse, that they wrote about this verse, is they said, the power of God is always borrowed. It's always on loan to us from God. And so if we aren't connected with God, that part that we borrowed the day before isn't going to work. And so we always need to refresh that with God. I thought that was kind of a neat, neat opinion on that. But the question I want to ask you is the same one Elisha ask them. For those of us who may not feel like new and feel uh, holy and Christian and that kind of stuff, I want to ask you, where did it fall? That's the second thing. He needed to find out where did it fall and get help. And so, this is what we're going to ask. Where did it fall? And what I want to do in this time, I know I didn't leave a lot of space, so you can write it somewhere. I want you, I'm going to give you a list of questions. I've even asked myself. And I want you to just, remember what I said, I want you to be able to reach out. Okay? And I'm going to list these, and I want these to be a place where it may help you find out where it fell. Because I think it's really cool that what ended up happening is, as you see, where did it fall? And then he showed him the place. Can you imagine this prophet? He's going away, and he's going, um... I think it fell in here. I, I've golfed before poorly, and I golf, and when you hit your golf ball into the water, you go, I think it went in here, and then you reach in and you pull something out, and that's not mine. That's like from five days, but I got a new ball, and then you're like, you're looking all around for it, right? And then, can you imagine this guy? He's walking around the Jordan. He's looking, and he's looking, and he's saying, like, I think it's like here. Now, God did not need him to tell God where it went. God knew. God does not need you to tell him where it fell. He knows, but he wants you to know where it fell. So let's look at these questions. Number one, you may have been in a relationship you had no business being in. Dating or friendship. Or you may have changed your mindset in a relationship that you should have dedicated more of your heart and your life and Christ to. Maybe it's that you shifted a life standard to clay so it was malleable or moldable that should be rock hard and you begin to compromise and you begin to lose your integrity. You might have even ended up into a position where the people that loved you the most and helped you the most in order to make yourself feel better, you begin to cut them down. So those first ones. relate In a relationship or shifted a life standard. Number three, which I, I got to tell you, um, I heard a comment that, uh, about pastors, that pastors are starving bakers. Meaning that you cook the meal for everybody else, but often you don't have time to take it in for yourself. Or don't take the time to cook yourself a meal. You know, you know like, Thanksgiving's a lot of time, and dinners, pe- people will cook them. Yeah, the other person who cook, cook, cooks, they take care of all, everybody eats a big, swollen mess, and the other person doesn't get anything. And, And I find this as a challenge as a pastor have for all my ministry, and I found other people find the same. Other pastors find the same thing. Maybe it's you've stopped spending personal time with the Lord. You, you, God is out of your calendar. Your life is too busy for God. Maybe you're not embracing a spiritual discipline like prayer, or dare I say the F word? No, not that one. Fasting. Fasting where you deny yourself food in order to focus on God. You know, when you deny yourself food, anybody happy when you deny yourself food for a while? Maybe you're just not doing what God wants you to do in that that part, like I'm saying there, and spending time with God. You're not doing what God wants you to do because you're not spending time with Him. I always love the story in Luke chapter 5 where there's fishermen... As the disciples and they're fishing and fishing, and they fish all night. They don't catch anything. And Jesus, this guy on the shore they've never met, says, "Hey, throw the nets on the other side." And they go, "All right." I find that really humorous. Did you love when people come to ta- that don't do your job and tell you how to do it? If there's anybody who's in the medical field, there are people who are always telling you that, right? And so you do that, and then all of a sudden, here he goes. They do it, and they have so many nets, they're full. But the really cool verse at the end is Jesus said, follow me, and they left it all. They, they fished all night, caught nothing. They had the keep of a lifetime, and they left it all there. Maybe you're not hearing what God wants you to leave someplace, and you've lost something because you can't find out what God wants you to leave to take somewhere else. Maybe you've been lazy about church attendance. You're dull by not attending. For instance, how many of you go to the gym? How many go to the gym work out? Okay. You go to the gym. If you go to the gym once every couple months, how good that's going to make it? Or if you go once every couple weeks, how good that's going to be for you? Not very good. Not very good at all. It's something that you have to make a lifestyle, and it's the same way with church. This is a spiritual gym to get you working out so you can go the rest of the week. Okay? But one of the coolest things was the trainer I had and the trainer Pete had, he didn't work out with me. Actually, at first I was like, really? But you know what? He said, If if you don't do it on your own, you're not gonna do it. And he's right. And I, he haunts me when I don't want to do it. You know? And so we, we deal with those things in life as well. And I gotta tell you, some your your family as families, your children will not. Know the importance of God in your life. If everything else takes precedence over God in your life, they won't know that. It's a lot easier to see what hap- what you do rather than what you say. Okay, number five. Uh, that you have a secret that you want to keep in, and you say it won't hurt anybody, but it's eating you alive, and that's where you lost it. Number six. When you said notice something sacrificial or risky, God called you to do. That's where you lost it. God had you to a place where he wanted you to do something. And then you went and let it go. I, I've seen in my life a person who was going to have a major breakthrough in their life. And they come to a point, it was coming out of their mouth. And right before it came out of their mouth, they stopped and closed ranks. And boom, took the opposite. And that, they're still bound by that because they wouldn't let it go. Maybe you stopped walking by faith, and now you live by human reason and sight. i got to tell you, I even said this the other day. Shame on me. This is confession time. I even said this to me the other day. I I think it might have been Melissa or it might have been somebody else. I was like, man, you know what was really crazy? I left a guaranteed job in order to start a church and didn't have a clue that it was going to do anything with a family, and Melissa wasn't working like she is now. That was crazy, wasn't it? Wasn't that crazy? Go home, go home today and tell your significant other that you're, you're quitting everything and going somewhere to start something and see the way they look at you. They will tell you you're crazy. She didn't because she trusted God and she trusted me. You know what I mean? It's crazy. But that's what God wants us to do. I, I can tell you, if I had stayed in, I could have continued the pattern, but I would have been dead here, completely dead. Because God said, Jack, here it is. This is what I want you to do. This is the call in your life. Okay? What is that on your life? Maybe you lost it there. Let's continue on. So maybe you stopped walking by faith and now um, to human reason and sight. Maybe you got bitter about an offense that God wants you to forgive. You're so bitter about something somebody did or said. That's all saying amen. That's where I lost it, right? And you can't, you don't want to forgive. And you know what? An, An unforgiving heart, God can't bless that unforgiveness. You know why? Because that's not the heart of God. The heart of God is forgiveness. Or maybe, we're on number nine now. Number nine, maybe you had a big, made a big decision without consulting God and now it's miserable. And you can't be surprised because God didn't give you the permission and didn't give you his presence. Doesn't mean he's going to scrap it all. It means that you need to go back to God and say, hey, I should have checked with you first, God. Can you really, if this is what you really want me to do, make it work. But if not, lead me in another direction and mean it. And mean it. Number ten, you stopped fighting an, an addiction or a temptation and you gave into it and now it's ruling your life. I cannot tell you how many people over the years I have seen that are passionate for God and on fire when everything is good and clean and nice but when they stop fighting it and stop doing the right things to surround them. There's a reason why in AA and NA and other kinds of things, you have a sponsor that you're supposed to reach out to. You know why? Cuz they know you can't do it on your own. That's why they introduce you to somebody else, and that's why they also tell you you need to connect to God or you know, now they've made it PC, a higher power. Because they know you are powerless over it unless you have people, unless you have God to get you through it. Am I right? And so when we see that, you know what causes people to do that? They stop fighting, they stop calling somebody, and they, they stop relying on God. And guess what wins over? The addiction. Time after time after time. I've had people come up to me and say it is only through God and others that I got, that I get, get through this, right? Not got through it, but get through it day by day. There was a pastor friend of mine who was a recovering addict. I was talking to him one time about somebody who was dealing with some issues. And as I was talking with him, he reached his hand in his pocket and he's holding this. You know what he had? He had a coin that he went through, through his process. And he has it on him all the time. So it reminds him of who he is without Christ and without sponsors. Okay? So some of you may have forgotten and stopped doing that. Next thing, maybe you rebelled against the God-given authority. Teenagers. Maybe you are just rebelling against your parents. I'm not saying they're evil. Maybe I'm just saying they are your God given authority. And in case you don't realize, most parents, I know there's always situations, but I'm saying godly parents want what's best for you. They do. We're not always good about revealing the ways we convey that's good to you. And I always thought when my dad told me because I said so it was the most ridiculous thing in the world, but now as a parent, it is the easiest thing to say. Because those kids love to argue. Uh, all kids do right they have great reasons and they're logical but as a parent I don't care about your logic I care about my will being opposed upon your life right because I want to protect you and I want you to be good and I want you to do this and don't you love parents when you show up and you're taking three kids home that your kids didn't tell you about and you're trying to explain to them that this is unacceptable but why you're cool yeah but if mom comes and we're not here I'm not cool to them Right? Not saying I'm personally sharing or anything. You with me? And so, you need to respect that godly authority. And guess what, parents? We need to be a respectful godly authority. There's a verse in there that says, children, don't, you know, uh, uh, honor your parents. We like that one, don't we? But there's also a verse in there that says, fathers, don't exasperate your children. That goes for moms, too. We're going to include that since we're being PC and putting brothers and sisters and everything now as moms too. I exasperate my children daily. It's part of my joy of being a father. And, and you know, when, I, when I, I've decided when I pull up to an event where, where my kids' friends are, if they don't come out, I'm going to go in, roll up my shirt and say, Is Jacob here? Huh? And go in, and I guarantee you they will leave right away. Am I right? So that's how, that's how we happen. But seriously... Honor those God, that godly authority that's, that's in your life. A couple more. Um, you bought into a lie, a major lie, that God can't forgive you. You did something in your life and you say, there is no way God can forgive me. No way at all. In other words, I heard a pastor once say, you're, you believe your grace prescription has run out. That you think grace is, is some glade that you spray to cover your sin stench. And that after a while, that stench comes through. And that's not true. The grace of Jesus covers everything. No matter what you've done. The Apostle Paul said, I'm the worst of all sinners. It's not cheap, it's powerful. It's power to change. Grace is not something that we just say at dinner, it's the power to change your life. It's the power of God to change your life. Number, a couple more. Maybe you have some ambition that's more important than God and you've dedicated your life to following after that rather than Him. Or maybe you've gotten complacent and rested on past successes and now it starts to crumble down. So my question is the same one Elijah asked to the prophet. Where did you lose it? Where did it fall? I I dare say that somebody in this room knows where they lost it or where they're losing a grip on the axe head. God wants you to go back to that place. You know why? Because it's painful to go back to that place. So that God can see, you can see that God's grace can cover that hurt. And so go back, remember what I started with? We are we don't feel new because of our history, because of our hurts, and because of our habits. And I guarantee you that list of things hit on one of those three your history, your past, your hurts, or your habits. Am I right? You betcha. And that's why we don't feel new, because we drag ourselves into the old self rather than the new self. But here is the good news. The good news is this. You, you and I, we are forgiven. Look at the person next to you and say, you're forgiven. You are forgiven. In Look at what the scripture says here. In Christ we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of God's what? Grace, the power to change your life. We are forgiven. The next thing that we see in there is we are healed from hurts and freed from habits. Look at what this verse from Ephesians says. Since you have heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from Him, throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of self, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. You are healed from that. And here is the last coolest thing. The good news is our God specializes in recovering what was lost. Now, how many of you have ever typed a paper on a computer, or something that you needed? I remember when computers were relatively new, when when like the original version of Word, like where you went from WordPerfect to Word. Remember WordPerfect? And I remember um, typing, and I had this paper that was needed to be done. It was long, and I and like me, the procrastinator I am, it needed to be due the next morning, which actually meant about in two hours. Okay, and so I had it all typed out. I'm down in this little cold office in my computer and um, in an old house, and we're, I'm sitting there. I have it all done. I'm ready, and I get ready to go. And all of a sudden, the demons came out of my machine and locked everything up, and I had that wonderful blue screen. No! Right? And fortunately, I knew somebody who also was up at that time, who was doing the same procrastination as me. And I called, him like, help, help, I need this. And they said, here, do this, this, this. And I learned about system recovery. And I learned that Microsoft Word has a recover tool in it. And it comes back on, I'm like, yes, when I see you today, I'm tired, I'm going to kiss you, right? I'm, I'm going to kiss you, I don't care who you are, I'm going to kiss you. And I was so thrilled, I printed it out, I'm good, and it's like, yeah. I'm so thrilled I get it out. And then as I look, that is how I feel a lot of times in my spiritual journey. That And here's the last one. Jesus is God's recovery tool. That what you have lost, Jesus came so you can have it back and have it abundantly. Your paper can be better. Wouldn't that be really cool if they had a button you just lost your paper and it came back and it's perfect? You're like, yeah, I'd lose everything. Look at what it says, like in Matthew uh, 17. 19.10. 19.10. Uh, I think we have it up here. Do we, have, do we have any other scriptures up there? Okay, you have another one? There we have, right? 19.10. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house too, because this man is the son of Abraham, because the Son of Man came to seek and what? Save that which was lost. Jesus is about finding lost things. Next verse, we have another verse here from Luke uh, uh, 4 18, I believe, where he said, Do I have that one? No, it's cool. I'll tell you what it is. It's where Jesus, where he, he, Jesus gives the uh, prophecy from Isaiah when he's in Nazareth. He rolls up the scroll and says, today this has been fulfilled in your hearing. And what he said was, I have been sent to give recovery of sight to the blind and take away the sin of many. Jesus is the recovery tool for your life. So as the praise team comes forward, um, I heard a pastor share this and I wasn't going to do this. But today I was running, and I thought God wanted me to use it. I was going to use another illustration for another day. Um, and we're going, to, we're going to do communion. So here's how I'm going to do communion today. We're going to say, Lord, we're going to ask you to bless the body and the blood of Christ. As Jesus took the bread and broke it, gave it to his disciples and said, this is my body which is broken for you. Take and eat this and remember it to me. This is my blood shed for you and for many. Take this and drink this and remember it to me. This, and God, let this be the body and blood of Christ. This is what brought God's recovery to